Happy Sunday. Welcome to Wells Branch Community Church. My name is Chris Pleckenpole, and I am so glad that you are joining us today. Now, if this is your first uh, Sunday experience with us, one of the things we love to do is ask questions. We would love for you to um, just text us at the number on the screen. We'll, probably, we'll keep this number up on the screen all throughout uh, the service. So we'd love for you uh, to just tune in with us that way, and we'll be able to answer those throughout the week. Now, we are in a sermon series uh, called What to Do When You Don't Know What to Do. And they're just just from just the collective like groan of the culture, there's a sense that um, there's a real fear. We can't, we're, we're fighting an enemy we can't see with the coronavirus. And so it kind of brought me back to my days in the Army. And my first uh, role as an officer was a, as a second lieutenant. I got to be a scout platoon leader as part of the 82nd Airborne Division. And one of the things I would do is, uh, well, we'd be out front to get eyes on. And that was sort of the whole premise of the scouts scouts out, I want eyes on the objective, eyes on the enemy, eyes on the situation. And the commander would always say, I need my eyes. Where are my eyes? In fact, when I became a commander, uh, I relied a ton upon ISR, Intelligence Surveillance Reports. And one of the ways ISR we used were um, the early uh, unmanned aerial vehicles, all right? UAVs would be in the sky. And really back then uh, in the early uh, 2000s, 2004, 2005, they were like flying lawnmowers that you could control by remote control. So it'd be like somebody mowing the sky. That's how loud it was. But at least I could see um, a certain objective, how many men were there, how many weapons were there, were there women and children on the scene? So like that was a whole big deal for me uh, going into uh, enemy contact. And so what we learned was that when you didn't have eyes on, we called it, I'm in the blind. And if I lost radio communication, I'd be totally in the blind and you'd be all on your own. It was a very freaky thing. And I think that's how a lot of us are feeling we're fighting this thing in the blind. And we need answers. We need help. And how is this, how is this virus going to affect the economy? How is it going to affect me? How is it going to affect my health? Uh, and so here we go. I want us to, when we don't know what to do, we need to know what to do. And so I, I want to kind of go through essentially uh, three ways. Uh, that when faced with anxiety, we tend to set our eyes on uh, really maybe three different things. One is the enemy, right? We, we're looking for the enemy. We, we, in army culture, if you didn't have eyes on the enemy, then you were about to get the eyes had the enemy had eyes on you, and they're going to take you out. And so that is scary. In fact, one of the things we would say is the facts are always going to be in our favor. We just need to know what's going on, and it's going to help us. And but we found that facts don't reduce fear all the time. Watch this. The second thing is that the gap between uh, reality and God's promise. We tend to, when faced with anxiety, we tend to set our eyes on that gap. We, we, sit, we simply go, man, uh, I know what God's word says. I'm, I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian. I got it. But listen, you don't understand my situation. I mean, maybe God did stuff like in the Bible, but I haven't seen any miracles lately. I haven't seen a, a Red Sea parted. I haven't seen, Listen, I, I got what, the God, but what God says in the Bible, but man, this seems really challenging for what I am facing. Or uh, when faced with anxiety, we tend to set our eyes on facts, not faith. And I, and I think I've just been going over that. Facts, uh, if they're right facts, so the right person, result in you having less fear. However, um, when's the last time you had an argument with your spouse 
and you brought out the facts, and that solved the problem. I'm just saying. I'm, just, I'm not in your house, but I'm just saying. How many times did you bring up some facts, and it actually made things worse? And you're like, what? I just told you the facts. All right, and so I feel like that's kind of where we are. And I want us this morning um, to be able to wrap our head around how we can, in times that seem dire or struggling, and it feels like we're on a, an economic precipice that is going to drop, or maybe you're experiencing a free fall, uh, I want us to know what to do when we don't know what to do, where we should set our eyes. And if you've been to church for five seconds, I'm probably going to tell you to set your eyes on the Lord, and that's exactly right. And I want to go to a story uh, from Second Chronicles. This is going to be in the sticky pages of your Bible, the part you have never opened. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20 is where we're going to be, and uh, I want us to pray and ask God to speak to your heart. I want him in the midst of uh, your living room, uh, wherever you're watching this, on your computer, on your phone. I want, I want the Lord to really speak clearly to you about what to do when you don't know what to do. Would you pray with me? God, would you open up your word this morning? Would we be able to see so clearly uh, what you would have for us to do? Lord, that our hearts um, and our eyes would be set on you, that we wouldn't be operating in the blind, but we'd be operating in faith with eyes to see your grace in our lives. Lord, um, I'm praying that this, more, this day, this Sunday, that we'd be able to experience the joy of following you. And that's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Awesome. Okay, so Second Chronicles uh, chapter 20 uh, opens up with, uh, we're in the middle of King Jehoshaphat's reign, okay? So he's the, been the king, and uh, he's already done some great things, fought some battles, that kind of stuff. And so that's where we're going to pick up the story in Second Chronicles chapter 20. We're going to start at verse 1. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Mennonites, which you're just like, that is a lot of people, came against Jehoshaphat, he's the king of Judah and Jerusalem, for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Eden, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hezazon Tamar, that is in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. Okay, now I just want to just quick pause, right? He, he's afraid. Jehoshaphat is experiencing traumatic stress. Do you guys know what I mean by that? Um, whenever you have a life or death situation, you immediately go into fight or flight or freeze. You know, you fight. I'm, I see an enemy. I need, it's going to attack me. I'm going to attack it first. That's going to take, you know, I, I've, got the, I've got the strength. I've got the speed. I can take this thing out. Or flight is um, this thing is going to beat me. Let's get out of here. And I want all, all the people I love to come with me and we're going to go hide. Or freeze, I'm going to play dead uh, and just pretend that, that uh, I'm not here and you can't touch me and hopefully they'll get bored. All right, so that's sort of your three sort of primal responses. And listen, if you've ever, if, listen, if you've ever experienced um, like a, a real uh, stress, like maybe you have post-traumatic stress and you've been in a life or death situation, you can get triggered just like that. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, what is, what post-traumatic stress is, it's, it's when you're experiencing the traumatic stress in a situation that you shouldn't have that sort of stress. Now here's Jehoshaphat. He's got legit stress. Here's you. Here's you. 
And the weird thing about post-traumatic stress, if you've got that, if you've got PTSD, um, you don't know and you can't tell if it's real or if it's just perceived because in your head it sure feels real to you. Well, here's Jehoshaphat, just been told. He hasn't seen the great horde coming. He has, all he has is a report and uh, he's triggered, right? And so what is he going to do? Fight, flight, or freeze? Watch his response. It is none of the above. It is faith. When, when sort of facing fight, flight, or freeze, he goes to faith. Watch this. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all of Judah. All right, now listen, he doesn't just proclaim a fast for himself. He gets a lot of people involved. Um, and listen, here's what's interesting. Jehoshaphat does um, something that I would consider militarily unsound, all right? He calls all of the women and children, all of the men, everybody to come to one spot. And may, honestly, you might be thinking, okay, well, maybe that's like his plan. They can all, you know, get a circle together and fight out. But the problem is you can have a siege against a city. Like there's a ton of things that could go wrong by bringing everybody to the temple. And then you've got all your leaders in one spot. You've got all your best warriors in one spot, a, a couple artillery rounds. Okay, maybe they don't have artillery back then. But uh, you, you decimate that one spot, you win. So this is like sort of antithetical to any warfighter's experience, bringing everybody to one spot. That makes it just way easier for the enemy to know where you're at. Now, he, as he gathers all these people together, you know, you're thinking, okay, we fasted, we prayed, now it's time to get to business. Here's the plan. Like maybe he's gonna give like some motivational speech. Like it's a brave heart moment. It's like, listen up, you know, they're the bad guys. If we can kind of just muster up enough courage, I know we're outnumbered, but let's just take it to them. And like, we're gonna just, you know, charge. And maybe some people experience that and maybe that's gonna be the motivation they need to win. But watch what he does. He doesn't give a motivational speech. He simply prays. Look at this. O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. What's really cool about this is, um, did you know that King Jehoshaphat, his, his name actually means uh, the Lord is judge in a sense. Like, so he is the only one that rules over everything. He is in complete control and he's just reflecting his name back to God. That's kind of a neat thing. All right, so in your hand are power and might so that no one is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary by your name saying, now watch this, he goes, shifts from referencing Abraham because God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then he's going to reference Solomon. And Solomon, when he dedicated the temple, he prayed this. Oh Lord God, uh, sorry, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, disease, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house. This is Solomon's prayer. And cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. So he's, he brings back the past, the promises of the past, and then watch. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy. And behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Now this, I love this last part. If there's a verse to put on your coffee cup, it's this. 
Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde. I want you to remember this. This is a prayer that the king of a nation is praying. Think press conference, think uh, microphones, cameras. And all of a sudden we said, we're powerless. And that's, he's praying. He's like, God, we're powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. And then I love this line. This is the Christian faith in like one prayer. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's his prayer. That's his plan. Um, This sort of looks like, what are you talking about? But he's simply, um, as God's people, when they don't know what to do, they look to God, not the enemy. They set their eyes on the Lord. Their their eyes got to be on the focus on God because if you look at the enemy, the facts are going to freak you out. The facts are they've got way more. You're outnumbered. You're outgunned. This is looking very bad for you. But, and so, so, what should you do? You should fight. You should flight. You should freeze, play dead. Maybe they'll go away. Maybe, you know, appease them. Give them some money. Tell them to stomp it. But if God is really God, he's your first option. And whenever you sense trouble, just like any kid would say, hey, daddy, I'm afraid, I'm scared. You run to your father because God is greater. God is greater. Your father in heaven is greater than your financial crisis, than the relationship issues, than any enemy that might harass you. And here's what I want us to kind of just move to understanding. See, remember, Jehoshaphat doesn't just just say, I'm not going to worry about it, God, you got No, there's real fear. This isn't like I'm just playing up my fear to kind of get everyone on my team. No, this is a real king who's being real vulnerable. And in front of the whole nation, he doesn't try to play off that he's strong. He's not trying to project strength. He's not making up numbers. He's not saying, listen, this is the reality. We're going we're gonna to be okay. He's saying, this is awful. Now, this, the, what I loved about this is this is leading from weakness. And in 2 Corinthians 12, um, this quick story about Paul. You know, Paul, the guy that planted all the churches, was radically saved by Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 12, he says, three times I went to the Lord and I begged him to take whatever was paying, painting him away. Uh, we don't know what it was, but he's like, there was some issue that he kept facing. And the Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul took that word from Jesus and he said, all right, fine. Then I will boast all the more of my weaknesses. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Because that's when Christ's power rests on me. And you need Christ's power to rest on you. When everything is feeling so out of control, you need the spirit of the Lord to descend on you. And watch what happens to this great throng of people. No, no, watch. Uh, Verse 14, check this out. And the spirit of the Lord, I love this. The spirit of the Lord came. No, it's not like the spirit of the Lord is just sitting there going, oh man, I wonder when I should get down there. No, immediately when he, he calls, I mean, Think about the logistics of getting the word out to get all the people to come and pray. That was an effort. That was a war effort in and of itself to get all the people of Judah to come to Jerusalem to the temple and pray. And the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel and in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants, 
of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde for the battle is not yours, but God's. You need to hang on to that. Remember, God is in complete control. God is using every circumstance and every situation to build your faith, to build you up. And remember, if it's not okay, don't worry, it's not the end because in the end, everything's gonna be okay. And if it's not okay, that means it's not the end. The battle is the Lord's. Now, watch this. He's now gonna give them like marching instructions, which is like, listen, God's got this, which is like, okay, that's like, uh, you know, we're gonna do the fighting but God's going to tell us what to do. And that's what you would think. In fact, this is how it sort of starts. Tomorrow, go down against them. Okay, those warriors and soldiers are like, all right, we got this. We got a word from the Lord. We're going to get our weapons. We're going to go. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. That's the ISR we were needing. We needed an intelligence surveillance report. Thank you, God. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. And then watch this. You will not need to fight. Stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. To which they're like, what? Well, hold on, hold on. I don't need to fight in this battle. I just need to stand there. So do I, what about my sword? Should I leave that at home? And essentially, yes, watch. O Judah and O Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Tomorrow, go. And the reason why you can go is the Lord is with you. And I think this is the part, watch. I want you to lean into the Lord is with you. I think, I think this is the promise that you and I both have. This isn't this message, the Lord be with you. That was specifically for that time, for that certain amount of people. But you know who else told us the Lord will be with us? Jesus. I will be with you to the end of the age. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. Nothing. That's a, that's a promise. It's a guarantee. It's something to sink your teeth in. Now watch. So Jehoshaphat, when he hears that, and I'm hoping when you hear that, you, your response will be like this. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the Kohathites and the Korites, that's just all the priests, stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice, and they rose early in the morning, went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. Now, just in case you're wondering, just military strategists out there, you take a whole horde of people, you put them in the wilderness in general without weapons, okay, without weapons, saying you don't need to worry about weapons because, you know, God's going to fight your battle. You set your up to be a target. And in the wilderness, there's very little cover, which means hard things that can block bullets or arrows or swords or anything. And there's very little concealment, stuff that can hide you, like smoke or trees or brush, and that kind of thing. All right, so they go out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army. Hold on. I want you to hear this. Their battle garment was a choir robe. I need you to wear some holy attire because you're going to do some sweet singing. Get out there in front of the whole army. Guys, we don't need swords. Don't worry about it. Go out there in front of all those guys in holy attire. And they went before the army. And then he told them to say, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. All right, they're just getting into it, right? They're like, they're singing that the choir. All right, can I get a band on this one? And they're worshiping God. That's sort of their plan. That's their whole battle plan, singing, looking for God to intervene. Listen, when people don't know what to do, they look to God's word, even if absurd. 
Come on. They look to God's word even if absurd. We've seen this over. This is the way, this is God's MO. This is how he operates. Remember Red Sea? They roll up to the Red Sea and they're like, dang it, didn't think about this one. God led us here and they look back and say, it was better when we were in Egypt. We had meat pots and we didn't have anybody trying to kill us. I mean, they were whipping us and working us to death, but whatever. We weren't going to die. And then all of a sudden, God's like, watch this. Bam, Red Sea parts. They walk across, splits the sea. They can walk right, right through it. And then all the Egyptians drown. How about this one? Jericho, you guys remember this? Battle of Jericho, what was the battle plan? Circle the city for seven days. And on the seventh day, do it seven times. And then with a loud shout, the walls will come tumbling down. And they do. And the walls come tumbling down. Or how about, uh, do you guys remember this one, uh, Gideon? He had to whittle an army of 10,000 down to 300. And then the battle plan against a great horde was to, um, everyone got like a pot and a torch. And the, the battle plan was at the same time, they all break a pot, hold up a torch, and then they would win. And they did it, and then God like made them all kill each other. That has been the battle plan of old. It's always been the battle plan. Do insane things, trusting God's word. Why? I think that's the... There's, there's several points to this. One is God gets the glory when you just trust him at his word, even when it's absurd. God gets that glory. And it allows us to fight from weakness. Because isn't it true if you had an amazing army and you had a really great battle plan, then you go like, well, the way we defeated the enemy is that um, we understood like, you know, Military warfare. I'd read Clausewitz. I understood the fog of war. So what we did is we kind of created a fog for them. And then we outmaneuvered, outflanked, outnumbered, and we put the firepower where we need to put it. And that makes you go like, you're a great strategist. And what happens is God gets way less glory from that. And so I was trying to find a story like, where would be a story um, today, modern days? Because you're like, Chris, that's the Bible. And uh, listen, I believe the Bible, but I mean, God doesn't operate like that anymore. Or does he? Or does he? So I was looking for a situation around the world right now that's way worse than your situation. Whatever your situation, I was thinking this would probably be worse. Um, so I found this story on Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, Poonam is a, a Hindu woman. And if you guys aren't familiar with like, current events in India, Hindu nationalism has risen up and they are slaughtering Christians and Muslims like it's their job. Okay? So anyone that poses Hinduism, they die. And so she leaves Hinduism and she converts to be a Christian in 2012 because she got this sweet Bible, okay? Then her husband sees the Bible, freaks out, over here is her praying to God, and he shreds the Bible and says, you are forbidden to worship that God, that we are Hindus and we do Hindu things, to which um, Poonam's like, well, I'm sorry, I'm going to worship God. And so for that, she gets beaten, beaten, beaten. Uh, and I don't think it was just like rule of thumb beating. I think it was like severe beatings. That'll teach her. Give up this ridiculous God stuff to which she isn't. And then she's kicked out of the house. You better give up the, this Jesus. You better give up Jesus. Give up Jesus or listen up. If you don't listen, look, you're the mother of my children. I would hate to do this to them, but your influence is destroying them. And then she's estranged from her children. But during this whole time, um, and we're talking modern day stuff, she sets her eyes on God. 
Because where else do you go? Where else, if, if God is in control of the whole universe, can he be in control of a husband? Can he be in control of a wife? Can he be in control of parents that are really difficult? Can he be in control of a boss? Can he be in control of a virus? Can he be in control of your economic situation? I know, I know, you're afraid, you're, you're fearful. And it, it seems weird to set your eyes on God when all these things have happened, you have been setting your eyes on God. But the cool thing is with Poonam, um, over time, she, was, she would pray and she got with some, a few Christians and just would pray and pray and pray and say, God, I, have, I don't know what to do, but I'm setting my eyes on you. And through her prayer, her children, she got her, um, the ability to have her children back. And then her husband invited her back into the house. And then so much so that her husband said, all right, fine, I'll go check out this church. And he's attending church with her. He's not a Christian yet. Like This is like real time, not a Christian yet. But he is going and allows Poonam to even say, I'm setting my eyes on you even when I can't see the enemy or reality and this gap that seems to be your promise and what's going on in my life. And the cool thing is she still has that Bible. Her husband tore up because that became life for her. And so I feel like that's where a lot of us are at, clinging on to some pages. I'm going, I don't know what to do, but all I have are a couple pages that said, trust you, and I'm going to. It's all I've got. And I, th- here's, I, had, I was able to lead um, some to Christ this week, and in the conversation, um, I, I said this, listen, all you have to bring to the table when it comes to your relationship with God is nothing because the very moment you think you've got something, you miss out on grace. And when you understand, when you can wrap your head around, you bring nothing to the table, you will get it. And that's what Punam got. Now watch, back to Second uh, Chronicles 20. Here, watch, watch the God of uh, our God, the God of Israel, uh, the God of India, the God of the United States, the God of history past and history present, history future. And when they began to sing in praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir. They started fighting each other, devoting them to destruction. When they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. (laughs) And that's how the Israelites just stood there and watched their victory. So when God's people don't know what to do, they look to the Lord as he fights their battle. And the improbable, how about this? The impossible is very possible with God. And that's how God works. I think this is the part where you can sort of miss out on this. That God, that God is in control of every single thing and he wants us, our eyes fixed on him through any situation. Because the moment that our eyes get fixed on us, what happens is idolatry happens, idolatry of self. And you, you say, listen, if I just had the right facts, I could figure it out. No. The right facts are you could bring nothing to the table. God does it all. Even if you think through this and you're able to kind of outsmart who gave you that brain. And I really want us to kind of wrap our head around this one sort of thought that when it came to your salvation, I just want you to go with me here for a second. When it came to your salvation, what did you bring to the table? We, we said that we brought nothing. 
Because if you were to bring anything to the table, you would not understand grace. So when Jesus came, he died on that cross for your sins because you were separated from God. And what separated you from God was sin and darkness and shame and all the stuff that made you unworthy, unclean. And Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin on our behalf as he went to that cross. And our, our filthiness was imputed to him and his righteousness was given, planted on us. And what that meant and what that means is you become a child of God. And when your daddy is in charge of the whole wide world, then he makes sure that his kids are taken care of. That in the end, it's always gonna be okay because daddy's near. I promise I will be with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Those are promises we sink our teeth into, not because they're platitudes, because it's truth. Because there is a Father in heaven. And that's why our prayer is always, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your kingdom in heaven come on earth. Do on, here on earth as you've done in heaven so that your grace and your power would reign. I look to you, not at the facts, not the gap, between reality and your promise and not at the enemy, I look to you because you saved me. And if you could save a wretch like me, you can change a circumstance. But my hope isn't in circumstances. My hope is in the king who promises me he's coming for me. I want that to sort of sink in. Facts are not the antidote to fear always, but in this case they might be. Because the fact is you have a God who's in complete control. Whatever argument you're in the middle of, um, whatever job situation you're in the middle of, whatever abuse you might be facing, the fact is he's still in control. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. Because in the end, it's going to be okay. So this morning, um, where are you setting your eyes? Where will you set your eyes? Will you set them on the enemy? Will you set them on that person who just wronged you? That person who just said, you don't understand. You're wrong. That, the anger, you're going to set it on that anger and that frustration like, and pay them back. Is that going to make it right? Where will you set those eyes? Are you going to set on the gap between your situation and God's promise? Say, God, you can't do it because you're apparently not powerful enough because my situation is so bad. Or are you going to set your eyes on the facts which are overwhelmingly against your favor? Or will you set your eyes in, feet, in faith to the God of all creation who is in complete control? And like Jehoshaphat, you simply say, verse 12, I don't know what to do, but I set my eyes on you. If you've never done that, if you've never set your eyes on Jesus, I want you to take a moment and just simply uh, pray or say something like this, God, I'm a sinner. I've been setting my eyes on myself my whole life. I've sinned in my thoughts, words, and actions. Uh, I'm not clean. I'm dark. I need help. I believe you, Jesus, died on the cross for those sins. I believe you rose from the dead. And then you say, Holy Spirit, come into my heart and make me the person you want me to be. And it changed. And if you're a Christian here and you've been struggling by putting your, your eyes on things that are not of God, my prayer is that you would remember what happened when you first became a Christian and go back to that moment where you set your eyes on him and put trust in him. So this morning we're gonna pray and then we're gonna take some time to just conf in confession and repentance, just say, God, I'm sorry uh, for the way I've put my eyes 
on me. And we're going to ask for a time of repentance before we take the Lord's Supper together. Would you guys pray with me? God, thank you. You are in complete control. You do things that I can't even fathom. I don't know how you do it, but you do it. You are so in control. You are so powerful. And you can do anything, Lord. And I ask and I pray right now for somebody watching that they would say, I need you, Jesus. I I don't know what to do. And I'll try setting my eyes on you. Lord, would you just hear that prayer? And would you fill them, Holy Spirit, empowerment? Would they sense it, feel it? Even though the circumstances say that's ridiculous, Lord, would they trust in your word? Even when it's absurd. And as they go to fight this battle, they realize that you're the one fighting. And all they're required to do is set their eyes, focus on you to do the next right thing that you've commanded them. God, you're so good. God, I'm praying for Christians uh, that have been following you, that they would take time to just confess and repent, to just say, God, I haven't trusted you with my whole heart. I've, I've, I've said that I do, but I haven't. And Lord, here's the way that I'm not. And so Lord, even in me, would you do that in me and all the places and all the parts of me that wants to just sort of be combative and fight my own fight, Lord, would you just help me to rest fully in you? My eyes are on you even when I can't see because you're all I got. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's take time to confess and repent before the Lord so we can take the Lord's Supper.